Hi, this is Nick Spencer, and these guys, right? You're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, still not canceled. Too many know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962 last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned. The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Thanks for joining me for a special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides a series of intelligent conversations between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Thanks for joining me for this special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Mark is taking a break while he runs the New York Half Marathon at incredible speed and moves into a new home. So I propose, in his absence, that we dub him The Wizard. Let him know. Tweet him at at ChasingASMblog with the hashtag TheWizard. I'm sure he'll appreciate the support. Today we're going to be rounding up our Patreon reviews of The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Numbers 11 through 13, also known as legacy numbering 812 through 814. You know, the J. Jonah Jameson and the big, big man story from Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. We originally recorded these conversations way back when the issues were first released for our Patreon audience. Remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without the wonderful support from our even more wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content, like these reviews when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Now let's get to the action. We hope you enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 11. What's new? Wonderful. Let's get right into it, Mark. <laughs> Today we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 11, 812 in the legacy numbering. Let's talk about this issue. It's the return of Ryan Otley, back from the first arc on the book. Tell me your thoughts, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was definitely a welcomed uh, return for uh, with Otley for me, I gotta be honest. I mean, not that... I mean, I felt that the last issue... Of Sp- Amazing Spider-Man with Ramos and and Spencer, you know, it was a good issue. We had some good resolution with some Black Hat stuff, some good stuff with MJ. But like, I don't know. There's something about the energy and and kind of the way Otley and Spencer feed off each other. The way Otley's kind of very stylized artwork kind of plays off of Spencer's 
quirky sense of humor. Uh, some of the, I feel like some of the jokes just land better uh, with Otley at the helm than they did with Ramos or anyone else that we've seen kind of come through the book so far. Uh, so in that regard, I think it probably helps elevate an otherwise not a not a mediocre story, but just kind of a another story that seems to almost be spinning its wheels a little bit. But I felt it got elevated a bit by having the two of them back together again. Is, is that a fair assessment, you think? Absolutely. I, I think this is kind of a setup issue, as we've seen a lot of kind of uh, Nick Spencer issues have kind of been. I think if there's one major cr- criticism I have of this run so far is that a lot of it is spinning its wheels. But I, I like that by the end of this issue, we really kind of seem to be getting to the heart of this conflict straight away. Um, and I, I thought this issue was pretty successful at like setting up um, a number of things that seem yet, yet to be uh, resolved. And, and if we're talking about Nick Spencer's overall modus operandi, I, I think it seems to be resetting Spider-Man back to the reg- regular status quo. Now, he's been thrown something huge here, which is that Jonah knows Peter's identity, and they have to come up with something new with it. But this seems like already we're setting up a way to resolve Jonah and Robbie working together again. We've got Jonah kind of, you know, again meeting, you know, the, the fate of his, his former uh, decisions much like Dan, one of Dan Slott's early issues, uh, where it was the Spider Slayer versus Jonah, this seems to be a very similar setup to that. And you know what? It's a it's a classic one. And let, let's go back to that. Well, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. And I think Otley, yeah, he's the star here. the The artwork is incredible, and all the characters are so emotive that it makes it fun to read, even if nothing really big happened. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I loved, I love having a, a Jonah-centric story again. Uh, it kind of felt like something that had been missing through the first 10 issues of the series uh, since Spencer took over. And yet, I kind of felt like through the first few pages of the story where we're kind of re-establishing the status quo between Peter and Jonah, that I kind of got the sense that this is one of those things that Spencer was kind of handed as the creator that he couldn't necessarily find his way out of uh, and kind of, I don't know, there's just something about this whole setup that almost feels like from the creative side, like a begrudging, like, all right, I can't, you know, because there, there's a lot of other things that Spencer has kind of written away that he was handed so far, like, you know, example, the Felicia, the Felicia Spider-Man dynamic from the last issue, uh, he kind of brush that under the rug and try to move it forward and obviously the Peter and MJ but here's something where like this this whole thing about Jonah knowing his identity and and kind of being a, a, a real shyster about it it's like well what do you do with that um, you know unless you're going to kill Jonah and they don't want to do that so yeah it just kind of feels like alright well if I got to work with this let me, how do I how do I really push the envelope and kind of almost make this feel just really uncomfortable and, and not like as begrudging as I feel Peter is about the fact that Jonah knows this about him. And, and, and I, in that regard, I feel it was executed really well and that comes across. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is kind of awkward, too, because there was a weird resolution to their partnership in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man 800, where Spider-Man kind of schools Jonah on, you know, the responsibility that, that lies with this. And Jonah here, he doesn't really seem to have learned that lesson yet, which... It's probably typical of Jonah. I don't know what lessons Jonah does learn. He is the most stubborn character, and 
Spider-Man lays out his personality, I thought, very plainly here, which is, like, it's always just about you, right? Like, even when you're, like, quote-unquote helping me, it's really about yourself, you know? Like, and, and, and you might think you're doing something really helpful to me here, but really, you were the one that tarnished my, per- my, my reputation in the first place. So, like, I like that that history is still referenced here. We haven't just turned a corner and... Uh, you know, I'm interested to see, like, ultimately where this full story leaves their relationship because I, I get the sense that it's being set up to be changed yet again into whatever whatever th- it is. Um, and we're starting to see that change here, right? Like, they're, they, they're partners in a way, but it is still somewhat adversarial. Like, Jonah is getting in the way of Spider-Man being successful in thwarting enemies and he's also drawing undue attention to him and making promises for him that Peter just isn't able to cash. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a good way of kind of keeping Jonah as a foil, but not necessarily as a true antagonist. It's it's more he's just a pain in the neck more than anything else, which is what it needs to be. You know, I, I, I got to admit, I was a little concerned uh, the way things were kind of wrapping up. I mean, obviously, Jonah is the one who kind of who outed Spider-Man's identity to the Red Goblin, you know, during the, the, the big dramatic arc there during the end of Dan Slott's run. But like, it, it almost felt like, you know, having Peter out himself to Jonah the way he did, uh, not that they were going to you know, set them up to be buddies, but like, it just, it just felt like they were almost going to be putting some of their hostilities behind them. And, and here I feel like no hostilities are still there. Because that's what you, you just need that from these two characters. Otherwise, I don't quite get what Jonah's purpose is in these books. You know, there's got to he's got to be a thorn in Spider-Man's side one way or another. So we kind of get a bit of Jonah to start the book off. We move into this like scene with Kingpin, where like the he kind of is the one that's facilitating this this plot moving forward, which is like he's going to give Jonah an award as a way to kind of like twist Spider-Man into the scenario because J- Kingpin's goal seems to be to like somehow like for some reason really want to trash spider-man's reputation which okay fine um we're kind of first this is the first time we're ever really seeing other than the first issue that plot move forward i still don't really understand what's going on here um on top of the fact that the kingpin is like in a coma in the daredevil book so like i don't know when this is happening uh necessarily unless maybe i'm wrong and that plot has resolved itself like uh, th- I'm just confused about all this. Mark, are, are you in the same place? Well, I'm not even reading Daredevil right now, so I couldn't even tell you what's going on in that book. But yeah, I, this 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 whole plot line with Kingpin, I, I just don't quite understand what you know what 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 we're what we're angling for here, and it, and it kind of speaks to. I mean, we've we've had this in a lot of Spencer's run so far, which is you know, like I feel like things are being set up, but. You know, they're either being advanced at a very glacial pace or I feel like kind of intermittently, I guess, uh, st- you know, start, start, stop, start, stop. And, and that's that's kind of been what this whole Kingpin Spider-Man dynamic has been like. You know, we we teased about it in the free comic book day and then we teased about it again in the in the boomerang arc. But I, I just I, there's no momentum behind it and I don't quite get what we're going for. And it's just kind of ticking me off more than anything else like what 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 what's the end game here i don't see it i don't see it and it's and and then when you add in what might be going on in other series involving the kingpin i i don't quite get 
what, what what's happening here and, and and what the ultimate payoff should be what i what i what i should be thinking as a reader in terms of what i want to see happen with these two characters it's it's more frustrating than anything else because the series has really been ping-ponging back and forth it's like there's not a consistent through line like you know we got the kingpin thing boiling the craven the hunter thing boiling the shush stuff boiling like it, it's hard to maintain momentum for any of these when they check in and check out and check in and check out. And, you know, I, I kind of just want to, I hope that this is just us dealing with this Kingpin thing and this isn't going to keep going. Like, let's get into it. Like, we get a little bit with the billboard here, which is clever. Like, if that's what's going on, like, have that be, you know, appearing whenever you can. Although not too much, right? I mean, there's like a fine line because we complained about Dan Slott checking in on like the man in red far too often. You know, um, it's, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I do think there's a sweet spot to land on where these things feel substantial enough, but also aren't like beating you over the head. Again, in an effort to avoid sounding hypocritical, I mean, there's one thing to have like kind of one dominating long-term arc going on while there are other shorter arcs being resolved. But, you know, like you just, you, you just pulled out three, long-term arcs in one um and i i think that's just too many balls in the air personally like i i like i'm not uh, I, you know not not to sound simplistic but uh, like i think this just needs to be prioritized and it's not being prioritized and it, and it's making it feel very disjointed and disorganized um from the reader standpoint um you know like no we don't necessarily need one single storyline being checked in every single month but we also don't need three kind of coming and going and coming and going. I mean, like, you know, like pick one and, you know, you can kind of come at it for a couple issues and kind of come back and then come at it again, <laughs> you know, and while, uh, while other things are going on. So that's, I think that's what's going on here. I mean, like we, 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 like you said, there's three big things going on in the storyline in, in the series so far. And I, I don't, I can't get, make heads or tails of what's the bigger threat and what's what's you know i feel like shush is probably the biggest threat but again we're not we're not moving enough on these other arcs to get a sense that they're going to be resolved anytime soon i hope that an opportunity is made with this story because we already saw shush and the kingpin talking to each other and there seems to be some worked out relationship there so like i hope this arc finds a way to kind of start tying all those together you know, like, uh, like, let's give substantial detail about Kingpin's relationship to Shush. And, like, if these, if we're going to do all these major long term stories, like, let's start to dovetail them into each other and see how they're all related in a substantial way. And we got this a lot, certainly during the uh, Dan Slot run. And we've been getting it a bunch during the Expense run. We kind of got another Spider Man D lister uh, villain fight, this time courtesy of the Hippo. When was the last time we saw the hippo, Dan? I don't, I don't have, I don't have many memories of the hippo. <laughs> I, I feel like it was like Amazing Spider-Man Volume Three, Issue One, that like nude Peter Parker thing. The hippo was like a part of the like White Rabbit's crew. I think that might be the last time we saw him. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what this, why this needed to be in this comic. You know, like, uh, why not pad out? the the kingpin stuff a little bit more here. I mean, I appreciated seeing Ryan Otley's art because the kind of like hideous hippo is really kind of fun to look at. But the Galactus joke for me kind of fell flat. 
and it just didn't feel like it was really contributing anything to this storyline. You know, maybe the hippo will come back in the future, but I don't get that sense. You know, we have an, a great enforcers fight later on in this in this book. Why not let that be the fight and use this to kind of continue building out some of the other plots that we want to see some movement on? I, I, I don't see why we had to spend so much time on this Z-list villain. And again, it keeps contributing to the idea that like the villains in this book are mainly a joke to kind of be, you know, brushed aside. I mean, the enforcers get some hits in, you know, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm kind of tired of this story trope. Yeah, I mean, we have not had a very, we have not had a quality Spider-Man villain fight in this book so far since since the new creative team took over and that's that's disappointing you know <laughs> like like you know i don't necessarily just read spider-man for the villains but they're good villains <laughs> let's not waste them <laughs> what did you think about the scene where peter goes to robbie robertson house for the holidays yeah no this was good i mean like and again i think this is one of those this is one of the positive things that the the new creative team has kind of brought. I, I, I feel like characters like Robbie and Randy and, and others in the supporting cast are kind of getting a new a new coat of paint again. Robbie has been especially strong in this series so far, even though he hasn't been getting a ton of FaceTime. I mean, you know, I still think the panel with him in the in the massage chair in the first issue of this of this new series was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and... And again, like I, I, I feel here, like I, I kind of like this, this hostility and 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 tension with Robbie and Jonah, kind of like the specter of Jonah, always, um, you know, always being there. Uh, that was really being worked out here in this issue, because that's a good, again, that's good conflict, and and you know, quite frankly, that's one of those conflicts that I feel should have always been in the Spider-Man comics. I mean, Randy. It's not Randy, excuse me. Robbie has always kind of seemed to me in previous creator runs like almost like a bit of a pushover to Jonah. I mean, like, you know, he'll put his foot down when need be, but like, you know, you would think that he would be even more exasperated with Jonah than he is. Uh, <laughs> and, and and this really kind of zeroes in on that and, and, and quite frankly, bring, bring, shines some light on what should be a very truthful matter uh, in these books. Um, so I, I, I look forward to seeing that dynamic get explored more. Yeah, that, it's a really interesting dynamic. And so there's another kind of like throwaway line in this scene that I wanted to revisit, which is that Randy is going on some hot date with a, a woman that Peter doesn't know who he's going on a date with. Now, we've not heard anything about this prior to this moment, but like my immediate assumption was, oh, clearly Randy and Nora are getting back into some sordid love affair again. Yeah, well, you know, her... her, her... Her ex-boyfriend is, you know, well, he's dead now anyway, but also, you know, was a supervillain. So I guess, I guess, you know, I guess they can rekindle. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like getting over your ex who's a supervillain than hooking up with your previous ex. I don't know. It's Nora. She's a troubled individual. Yeah. Unless it's Carly Cooper, you know, could would Randy be dating Carly Cooper? Yeah, she's back in town. It would be an interesting reason to not tell Peter who he's dating. Yeah, just just you know, just a thought. Just putting that out there. All right, very interesting. Um, so speaking of mysteries, uh, we get this scene where there's this mysterious silhouetted character who's talking to Arcade, who seems to be setting up this death trap. Now, Arcade in a Spider-Man comic 
first of all, strange. Uh, not expecting arcade. Not totally strange, Dan. Uh, two big, big super Marvel team up nerds will note that it was Marvel team up the Captain Britain issues uh, that Arcade first appeared before he then got switched over to the X Men. So, yes, in the, you know, in reality, strange, but not totally strange. Just saying, no, not <laughs> not totally strange. Now, this character talking to Arcade, I think it's safe to assume it's not Shush. Like it doesn't seem like Shush. At all. It seems like some random person who is unpowered who is coming to Arcade to use the, you know, super resources that he has to get revenge on someone. And you're meant to think it's Spider Man, but I think it's very clearly it's Jonah that this person right. wants to get revenge on, um, based on the final page of this issue, um, which I guess we could talk about now. So on the final page of the issue, you know, we're skipping ahead. We see Spider-Man and Jonah getting attacked by a bunch of the flies or the human flies, <laughs> you know, some uh, spider slayers, and the Scorpion, who's kind of back in his original attire because who can keep straight what Scorpion is wearing or at any time? Does he have a robot jaw? Who can say? Uh, <laughs> and in the and in the spider slayers is the image of the big man. So, Mark, I think it's safe to assume that this is the big man that we're seeing talking to Arcade. And who is the big man, Mark? Oh, well, uh, big man, of course, I believe his first appearance was Amazing Spider-Man number 10. Uh, back in the 1960s, he is Frederick Foswell, a uh, former gangster turned uh, intrepid reporter for the Daily Bugle under J. Jonah Jameson, and then uh, eventually he gets uh, he gets shot and killed, right? Uh, like, he, he dies in Crossfire. Am I confusing him with somebody else? No, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, so, um, you know, there's a history there. Um, and, of course, you know, we have to kind of probably, we were talking off air before we started, Dan, that, you know, I think we need to reread the clone conspiracy to figure out Who's actually still alive now? Because it's hard to keep track. <laughs> I know that the big man showed up there. We didn't see who the big man was, but the white-faced big man character was in that giant spread of characters returning for the clone conspiracy. So, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is the dead Frederick Foswell come back in some way. I mean, to me, that seems like the most obvious choice. Um, I think the interesting thing about all the characters we see on the final page, you know, specifically Scorpion and um, the Human Flies, is that both of those characters were created on behest of Jonah, um, but by uh, the Stillwell brothers, Farley and Harlan Stillwell, who are also dead, but I don't <laughs> think came back during the Clone Conspiracy, as far as as far as I know, um, and the Spider Slayers have nothing to do with them. But there is that kind of like, you know, shared link between all the characters that appear at the end there and that they're all characters that were created to attack Spider-Man on Jonah's request. So who knows? But to me, my top choices are, are Frederick Foswell, the Stillwell brothers, and then I guess in third place, um, Alistair or Spencer Smythe because of the appearance of the um, Spider-Slayers. But we also saw that the Spider-Slayers were laying around ready to be used in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man 800, where Jonah suddenly showed up with Thun. So, who knows? Yes. 
But you're you're right. I mean, when when there's issues with Jonah, the Smythe family can never is never that far behind either. So you know, a lot of ways to go with this. But I kind of like your idea of bringing back Frederick Foswell. It seems like the kind of out of left field thing that Spencer would do at this stage of the game. So why not? Let's say it, Frederick Foswell. That's my guess. I'm with you, Dan. All right, Frederick Foswell. Um, you know, so we get this confrontation scene after this between Jonah and Spidey, where Spidey basically tells him like, hey. I'm not going to be your monkey. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. Uh, And I like that the two cops or the kind of limo drivers are like, I thought they were friends. It's a complicated, it's a complicated relationship. Yeah. What did you think of this scene? Yeah, no. Well, well, exactly. I mean, kind of what I was going back to what I was saying in the beginning. I mean, I I, I don't want to see Spider-Man and Jonah evolve into some kind of like, buddy comedy here it's just not you know like there, there needs to be not just friction but but hostility and 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 angst and issues so like you know putting that all out there here i think is is important it kind of levels the playing field uh I, I, it keeps these characters from getting into situations that frankly i just don't want to see them do i think like there's no fun in that for me as a, as a comic book fan and as, and as a spider-man fan yeah, and I, I I I don't think I could read a book where Jonah is like the kind of like oracle character for Spider Man. Like they have to be antagonists to each other. Like whether it's straight up villain, that's not necessary. But there has to be tension in this relationship, or it doesn't work. Because who wants to read like a cool Jane Jonah Jameson? Well, exactly. No, God, thinking Oracle Jonah. That's that's just the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very clear we're not going to get it here. I love the opening splash page we get of Jonah in this issue, where he's just like big and screaming, and like that's the way I want Jonah to be. Absolutely. You got a grade on this thing? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a B. It's a flat B for me. Yep, same here. B, we're 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 in sync, Dan. It's it's like we're like Spider Man and Jonah. We just get together again. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, I don't know who the screaming one is, but uh, you know we're gonna find out in future episodes, I guess. Dan, why are you talking instead of getting me pictures of Spider Man? Oh, okay, all right, Mister Jameson. All right, Mister Jameson, sir. <laughs> Thanks again to all our patrons on Patreon, because without them, we would have never gotten that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home, there are more where that came from. Let's get right into our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 12. In case you guys have not figured this out yet, we are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 12, a.k.a. Legacy number ASM 813. It is another Nick Spencer, Ryan Outley production. It is part two of this J. Jonah Jameson, uh, this is your life type arc, I guess. Does this arc have official name yet? That, or, uh, am I missing it? Or uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that, that you say that because it, it is like it's a wonderful life. You know, yes. it's got the Christmassy stuff in the last issue, and this one, it's like, here is your life, J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a name for it, but I don't know, right. and uh, so I'm not doing my due diligence. 
Right, right. Well, well, Dan, as I alluded to, this is the second part of what I guess is going to be a three-part arc unless we find a way to stretch it into four, which uh, the way these comics are going these days, maybe. I mean, you know, <laughs> can't, can't rule anything out. Yeah, I mean, you got any general thoughts on this? I mean, I thought this was okay enough. I guess start broad and narrow it down. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel very similar about this to the rest of Spencer's run, which is like – Gosh, all the fundamentals are great. You know, like I recognize all the characters in ways that I didn't necessarily before this run. It seems to be refreshing the status quo in ways that make me feel comfortable with the series again. I'm seeing familiar faces. I'm seeing, you know, consistent storytelling. But it's just there's not a real strong hook to this, just like everything else. It's like... Cool. It's like a good Stanley John Romita senior tale. Maybe moving a bit slower than those tales, although it definitely has less page count than those books did. Right. I think by like seven or eight pages, uh, which is significant. But um, you know, this issue is a lot of recapping and a lot of kind of exposition, and this has kind of been true of a lot of Nick Spencer's run. It just feels like it's still stuck on the table setting and. I think there are some things in this that make me excited to see. Is he going to kind of change up the status quo a little bit in the final issue of this story? But we're still kind of just in wait and see mode. But I'm not upset about it. I'm having a good time. It's just not rocking my world. Yeah, I mean, Dan, something that you and I were talking about before we started recording here was this idea that there, there still seems to be this sense that Nick Spencer is is kind of still dealing with the toys that are out of the toy box from his predecessor in terms of uh, different relationships with characters um, or just, just general plot points that maybe he is unsatisfied or unhappy with trying to do too much with and thus is trying to not necessarily undo them, but kind of put them in a position where they don't have to necessarily be addressed the way that um, Dan Slott was intent on addressing them during his run of the book, uh, which is all well and good. But at the same token, like it, it, there, there is still, for me at least, this just overwhelming sense of just there's just not enough happening that makes me go back over these 12 issues so far and say – well, that that was a signature moment in Spider-Man comics, you know, like we had that first issue. And I, we say I've been saying this over and over again where, you know, you got Peter and MJ getting back together and just like this whole kind of fresh cone of paint on the character that was really like, wow, this is going to be a brand new era of Spider-Man, kind of like that first JMS issue back in the day. And we have not returned to that sense of of newness and excitement and like just like a wow moment since. That's not to say that these are bad comics. They're they're very entertaining. They're kind of fun. Um, but to your point about the whole Stanley John Romita Senior thing, I mean, we just spent the whole season uh, talking about that run. And while it certainly stands the test of time, it's 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 historically great Spider Man comics. But if you were to ask me to go back and like list off like a top 10 moments from that run, I, I would be hard pressed. I'd be like, well, there was like some Peter and Gwen stuff and some Kingpin stories that were fun and the, the, the drug issues, you know, like it, the, or the you know, it, like it's nothing that's really kind of definitive that you can grab onto and you know the way you could with some of the Dicko stuff or even with some of the Dan Slot stuff um in terms of just big eye-popping moments and I don't know if that is going to ultimately 
help or hurt what what people think of this run as time goes on. But like as of right now, I'm just kind of sitting there at the end of each one of these issues, at the end of each one of these arcs that I feel goes on one or two issues too long saying, when's something going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's more and I don't think this has been true of all runs on this book. But in modern runs, we've gotten so used to Peter having some kind of agenda, personal agenda. And I really like that it's settled down a little bit into we're going to live Peter's life as he's living it. Like we're going to check in with friends and it's going to be kind of a slower paced thing. But there's so many things that are still up in the air about where Peter's at right now. Like what's he doing for a job? What is he caring about like in his day to day, you know, moving forward, other than making out with Mary Jane, you know, like what, what are his personal goals that Spider Man is getting in the way of? And I think that's the last domino that needs to fall to really restore this book back to its all time glory. And everybody's talking about, you know, Nick Spencer kind of restoring this book. And I think a lot of it is true, but that's the last thing that I need is like, it won't truly feel like Spider-Man until Spider-Man is truly interrupting Peter's life. Um, And I guess in the first story, we got a bit of that. And here, you know, he's obviously been kidnapped and things like that. But like, you know, I guess he's trying to prevent the Kingpin stuff and, and Jameson's being really annoying to him. But like, I think it's, that's what I'm waiting. It's like, it feels like it's treading water until it goes, now here's the take on Peter's life that this book has. And I I don't know what that is yet. Um, And I think the rest of it will come, you know, like if we know what Peter wants, then Spider-Man's goals seem immediately, you know, it'll immediately counter that in an interesting way. And I'm waiting to see what Nick Spencer has. And I think a lot of it is waiting on this shush character to deliver or maybe the hunted story arc that's coming down the road. And so now we're still in like table dressing, you know, like, like uh, what is the meal going to be? I want to know what the meal is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, enough, enough, enough of the preparation. Let's, let's, let's get to the main course here. But then again, like look at some of our favorite runs, like Roger Stern, like what was Peter's goal in that run? I, I don't know that I could say it has a few really standout issues like the juggernaut stuff and things like that. But I, you know, I, I think this could be, you know, compared to that run in some way, it's just not as concise. Right. I, and, and, you know, it's funny as, as before you said that I was like thinking to myself, like some of those arcs where Peter didn't necessarily have a ton of agenda, like, like Roger Stern or even like the DeFalco friends run and stuff like that. But like, you could still like point to either individual issues or moments where you're like, oh yeah. I mean, that's just something that I, I really, when I think back about Spider-Man, I just think of that as like such a definitive moment, you know, like Spider-Man versus a juggernaut, Spider-Man kicking the crap out of Fire Lord, the Hobgoblin being revealed, uh, you know, things like that, you know, like it, it, it's or not being revealed, I guess the Hobgo- Hobgoblin debuting, I guess I know <laughs> the reveal yeah. is not something I like to hang my hat on. <laughs> <laughs> but the ho- the Hobgoblin mystery was truly tantalizing. Like I, I feel like I'm doing all the work to get myself excited about Shush. Right. And I'm ready for this storyline to execute on that. Right. And uh, and that's what I'm waiting for. I feel like that's going to kick us into high gear. But right now, like, I'm enjoying these. But, like, if we had the, the threat of Shush actually taking some kind of thing, I feel like all of this would be cast in a totally different light. And these asides would actually feel like real asides while, like, we're salivating for the main course. And right. 
Or like, I mean, I mean, not to, again to keep comparing to other old runs, but like you had like during the Falco Friends that really great Mary Jane origin story, which to me redefined the relationship between Peter and MJ because it really gave meaning and context. And I feel like what we've been getting a lot uh, in Spencer's run so far is not so much giving new meaning to these relationships, but it's like repairing them, like whether it's Peter and MJ or Peter and Felicia or even Peter and Jonah. It's it's we're not going anywhere new with these characters. And 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 I think that's important, too. Like if you're not going going to give us this like, you know, complete Peter Spider-Man struggle or or a massive, you know, Moreland fight or anything like that then then give us give us something really significant with the characters and you know I know people adored that scene between Peter and Black Cat but they I think you know the adoration is for the fact that it kind of un it, it righted a wrong not because it right brought the characters to new ground it was it just kind of you know so like I, these are the things that are missing right now and these are the things that I, I I'm I'm hopeful can be resolved because again like you're saying there the, the 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 general dynamics and foundation is there there there's some good stuff to be found like every issue there are good things where i'm like this is kind of this is kind of cool if they just went further with it um so now let's see you know <laughs> when, when, when is it going to happen yeah <laughs> i'm very curious to look back on these reviews years from now because we don't know how long spencer's run is going to be on this book and if it is going to be a 10-year run like a dan slot you know perhaps this kind of work really truly will be necessary and will pay off years down the road that we took our time and we got to this and so i can't really complain because i am enjoying watching everything be repaired but it isn't the most excited i've been about this book you know, right. um, like it, it, it's funny because it's, it's somewhere in between Dan Slott and this, you know, like I felt like Dan Slott got the characters wrong, but he got the scenarios and the excitingness of Spider-Man right. Uh, yeah. and, and this is great characters. And I hope he's got exciting stuff down the line. Yeah. I mean, you know, say what you will about Dan Slott, but there was never there are dozens of moments and stories that I think of. When I think of the dance slot run, like immediately, you know, <laughs> and, and like, like, oh, remember when X, Y, Z happened? And, you know, again, I haven't had that yet outside of that first issue with the Spencer run of like, oh, remember when this happened? So what you're saying is more secret scrolls. Yeah, more secret scrolls. Uh, please. I finally got through Spider-Geddon, Dan. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> so, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the specifics of this comic. You know, we're getting more with this kingpin thing which i still i mean i feel like we're broken records with this dan um but you know like i just don't get it (laughs) what is the game here um i did like the the kingpin's a vegan joke i don't know how that landed with you but i i did chortle on the subway when i read it the first time so it it worked for me so some people on the internet seem to wrinkle about this but I, i don't really know why like it's a bit jokey for joke's sake but I don't mind it. It was silly, and I'm okay with that. You know, I, I, I still don't quite get why Jameson got roped into this. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many, like, 
like there's suspension of disbelief, but there's just, you know, we're, we're really suspending a lot to believe that all the pieces would fall into place the way they have here and that everyone would just go along with everybody's plans and, and crazy ideas to get to the scenario which we are in now, which is, you know, Peter and or excuse me, Spider-Man and Jonah trapped together in one of arcades like, you know, amusement park type traps of all the sins of Jonah's past, I guess you would say, which is fun in that right. But like, it's just like kind of like looking, following the, the logical path of how we got here doesn't quite add up for me. I, I, I don't buy that necessarily all these characters would go along with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, and I feel remiss in not bringing it up last episode because you mentioned Spider-Man and Jonah trapped together, but it, it's hard to ignore that the first like real Kingpin story starting in issue 50 is Spider-Man and Jonah trapped together while the Kingpin is trying to kill Jonah, you know, like so that Jonah would go, oh, the Kingpin, he's going to give me an award and he's the mayor. It's like, I'm pretty sure there's been like at least a half dozen stories where Jonah has been in on the Kingpin's like terribleness and attempts to kill him previously. Like, I guess, like, I know that they gave it some lip service last issue that, you know, the king, he's like, oh, the kingpin's terrible. He's terrible. Oh, he's going to give me an award? And I I, I think I should have mentioned it last episode. I just don't know that I fully buy that characterization of Jonah. I know he's a bit of a glad hander, you know, like he, he will bend, he will look the other way for stuff. I don't know that he would look that far the other way. Well, yeah, and, and and it's funny too because like, you know, we complain or have complained in the past about kind of how they sometimes make Peter can be characterized too much as like impetuous and a bit of a a bit of a dope, you know what I mean, like in terms of like um his naivete and whatnot. And meanwhile with Jonah, I feel like this is a character who's motivations and agency and whatnot i mean it just it just goes whichever way the wind blows i mean i've seen jonah this like super serious you know journalist with integrity to this total blowhard to what we're getting here which is kind of a blowhard but also like someone with some sense of a memory but you know his his ego is not letting him get the better of it. you know what i mean like it's just like we we Jonah, Jonah is is as malleable as it gets, and I, I I sometimes feel like that can be used against the character. You know what I mean? Like instead of it being something that serves the character. Yeah, I, I like like how he's written moment to moment in this. I just I don't know that he is as gullible as uh, you know as, as we might think. But at the same time, he's the guy that created the scorpion and the fly and and the, all these other things. So you know. <laughs> I don't know necessarily how to quite pin him down. Yeah, right. yeah I, I don't know. But I like what they seem to be moving towards in this. So I guess, do you want to talk about like what the kind of like dominating story of of this book is? Sure. I mean, what, what, what do you consider the dominating story? This mystery, the, the mystery villain, and and how these characters are all on on, on kind of coming at them one after the other. Like, what do you, what do you what do you, what do you go for it, Dan? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess so. I, I mean, I guess I would say it's more like Jonah reliving his memories, as we kind of said earlier. It's like we get this full history of Jonah in this almost like two thousand and one walking through the corridors of my life. Yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it pulls some from some not obscure places like, uh, 
you know, we get a bit about Jonah as a kid, which is from Spider-Man's Tangled Web number 20. Right, right. Uh, where we kind of get like that is, you know, because all of these characters have to have abusive fathers. Right, uh, right. You know, because that's, that's enough to scar everybody from Doc Ock to Jonah and back again. Right. Because that's a unique take on this. Uh, now, that's not Spencer's fault. That's uh, that's Zeb Wells, I believe, right? Who did that yes, one? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So, and not a bad story, but uh, it, it, in the context of the most recent kind of full history, you know, flashback that we got with like Doc Ock and having an abusive father, it does feel a little like rote. Uh, so, what did you think of like? So, first of all, we got like several pa- like a page or two recap of the previous issue which came came out 7 days prior. Right. And now we're getting this like five page or whatever uh recap of Jonah's existence. How do you feel about something like this? Is it too much exposition? Is it bringing in new readers what like and catching people up? I mean, I guess a lot of it will depend on how it pays off, but uh what do you feel about all this? Yeah, I mean <sighs> I get, I get it to a degree. I mean, I I feel like it's you, you kind of have to redo or or revisit the certain paces with Jonas past. Certainly, like the origins of like the Scorpion and the Spider Slayers. I don't know if anyone truly cares about the Human Fly. I'm sorry, <laughs> I mean, you know. But certainly, like you know. Those characters are pretty significant, and of course, like you know, bringing in some recent, more recent history with Marla and then his father. Um, you know, I, could this be done in two pages instead of five? I I would think so, but okay, I get that. But like, yeah, this it just seems like a bit much. Um, it seems like we're just kind of getting. Again, like, I don't even know why why Jonah's childhood matters here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It it it, it doesn't seem to be going to be playing into the ultimate payout which is like i mean we're 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 dealing with characters that were truly wronged by jonah one way or another and it seems like jonah in terms of his relationship to spider-man and and that and how that relationship has evolved uh in recent history um is going to be what the payout um to the story is um so then why spend too much time on historical tidbits of Jonah that have nothing to truly do with that. I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from. You, you see what I'm saying? Right. And if you're going to really go full-throated, you could go really full-throated and go into some of the more classic Jonah-oriented stories, like, say, I Cover the Waterfront or something like that. Although that book doesn't have a ton of, like, a truly significant no. like life changes for the character. Um but no, it's just kind of I always like that as like a good example of Jonah, the journalist. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that one gets more right than wrong in terms of like kind of Jonah's complexities, you know, his 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 dedication to the art, but kind of his his own ego and issues that undo him at times, you know. So um, but that's that's neither here nor there. One thing that we haven't talked about since we started Spencer's run is the recap page at the beginning of the issue. And for a long time, I'd kind of made fun of the recap page during the Dan Slot run because it was typically riddled with spelling errors and just felt very perfunctory. But now I go out of my way to read those. Do you read those, Mark? Here and there. It depends on how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> the ones the ones in Spencer's run have been really funny. Like okay. they're definitely unique. They're not on the level of like, say, Chip Zdarsky's recap pages from his spectacular Spider Man run, which were hysterical. Uh, especially the one that 
acknowledged how poorly the Jonah stuff was being handled. Did you read that one? Yes, yes. It's really funny. But it seems clear to me like, oh, that wasn't editorial that was writing these. It, it's the writer right. who writes those recap pages. Because this sounds like Nick Spencer's voice, you know, in, in a way that, you know. So I'm guessing the misspells and all that stuff was, was born out of Dan Slott and, and lazy editorial. But, or I guess overlooking editorial. So, but I don't know why, if Nick Spencer is writing those recap pages, why he feels the need to like repeat artwork and you know recap the book in every issue, if only to maybe save Ryan Otley some time from drawing another page. You know, I I, I don't know what what the goal is there. Um, when when yeah, like you're saying, it's it's still a lot of stuff. It's like okay, keep going. Like don't stop my pace here. Right. So Dan, in terms of again the 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 main thrust of the plot of this issue, you know, you talked about last time out about the possible return of a of a character from yesteryear. Uh you seem to think that uh that that theory of yours has gained some steam here in this issue. Frederick Foswell specifically? I well that's that's what I was thinking. I mean, what do you think? I think it seems fairly obvious um unless he's trying to throw us off, which doesn't really seem to be the case for Nick Spencer other than maybe like uh, you know, the, the, the shush character where he's kind of throwing us in all different directions. But, like, we get in Jonah's recap, like, two panels on Frederick Foswell. And it's even out of order in the timeline. Like, I think it shows Marla dying before it addresses, like, Frederick Foswell's death. Yeah, it was like, and others have and others have haunted him. And it's like, oh, crap, it's the scene from, what is it, Amazing Spider-Man 52 or something like that? Or Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like a 500-issue birth between <laughs> those deaths in the other direction. Yeah. Um, and then we get this, now, maybe you can correct me here on this one, but like he apologizes at the grave of Frederick to... Tessa Foswell? Yeah, Did no. Frederick Foswell have a wife? Uh, possibly. That that was – or a daughter? I, I don't know. Um, that well, he, was, did, he did have a daughter, but her name wasn't Tessa. That's That threw me. I had to reread that a couple of times to try and get a sense of, wait, who's this character? Definitely interesting. Yeah. So like Frederick Foswell's daughter – and uh, I know you've read these issues – Marvel team-up number 39 and 40. Right. His daughter of all things becomes the new big man. Right, right. Uh, and is murdered by Nick Lewis Jr., <laughs> who's the son of the original crime master. Oh my goodness. Yes. So at th- the very least we know that the crime master's last name is Lewis. Right, right. Actually his name is Nick Lewis. Yes. Great. <laughs> Great. Unless it's a mistake, Tessa Foswell, I don't know. It could be it seems like it's his wife, but I couldn't find anything on it. So maybe this is Tessa Foswell, some character we've never met before. Uh, but it looks like a man in the silhouette. And we know the big man was brought back during Clone Conspiracy. So, like, to go out of his way to show that, it seems like a clear setup for Frederick Foswell's return. A lot of, a lot of setup for Frederick Foswell, Dan. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, is that is it worth it? <laughs> I just want to see Patch back in action. I there want I want to see now that Wolverine's back, okay. can we get the two patches to square off? There you go. <laughs> now, the other thing we did get in this issue was a pretty uh, electrifying Spider-Man villain fight. Uh, which we have not had in a while, which was Spider-Man versus the Scorpion with Jonah manning the Spider-Slayers. I mean, this was fun. This was fun stuff. Otley did a great job with this. Yeah, it feels like a great old 
like Silver Age Spider-Man fight. I mean, I, we keep saying this, but this run, it, it does feel like Romita with like some modern ideas tossed in. You know, I don't think there was going to be a Romita arc where Spider-Man and Peter Parker's personality split. You know, but uh, like that, that to me, like this, this whole fight was like classic Romita era brawling. You know, it's, it's about, it's only about something that I've always complained about, which is mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. Right. Show me using his webs. Show Jonah going, I think I can use this. And Spider-Man going, no, you could take control, Jonah, and all that stuff. You know, uh, yeah. I found it a lot of fun. It's short and, and, and abbreviated, but at least he's fighting a real villain. Yeah, I mean, I like, I mean, talking to mechanics, I like Spider-Man taking the scorpion's tail and like flipping him up over on his head. You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 stuff like that playing with the physics of it all that you know kind of makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. That it's just been so absent from this book for for years now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got some of it. I think maybe in eight hundred as the final square off between Norman and Spider-Man, but. Yeah, it is kind of perfunctory in a way that it's not here. Right. And so I, I like that a lot, which is nice because so much of this story was so intangible as they're walking through this kind of like faded white background space to get like a brick and mortar punch match with the scorpion. I think kind of like grounded me again in in the in the setting, you know, as we we're reading it. Even if I was a little confused by the setup of the fact that, like, you know, basically everything was kind of set up as, oh, these are LMDs or robots or or joint hallucinations, except the scorpion was apparently real, which I, I, I you know, I guess kind of added stakes to it, but I didn't quite understand how he was the only thing that was real in this whole thing. And real is an intangible factor for the scorpion because he's gone through having a robot jaw to being stuck in a new armor body from the spider slayer i mean who can keep up with this character uh, honestly i'm okay it's like the lizard thing i'm like bothered by it but i'm also like half like it's fine just make the scorpion the scorpion again so i mean any any other grand theories or thoughts about what the presence of foswell the big man could mean for spider-man or jonah i mean i guess it, it would make sense given where things are on this current status quo with Jonah and Spider-Man and Jonah kind of being in Spidey's corner that you know to have a culminate with Foswell's return since Foswell was kind of in Jonah's corner about Spider-Man the Menace right I mean am I am I off to, off off base on that <laughs> No not at all um I I find that interesting because you know I I I haven't heard a lot of criticism of this Jonah you know becoming Spider-Man's ally thing cuz I think people are still kind of waiting to see how it plays out and what the new status quo lands on. But it is interesting that, like, there would be real-world ramifications for Jonah putting out decades of anti-Spider-Man bile for only to turn on a dime for reasons that listeners to his show or readers of his paper can't fully understand without being Jonah, that someone, like, a fan of his would suddenly go... Well, what the hell, you know, and, and, and be like, well, something must be wrong with Jonah. So to me, that's interesting, you know. Uh, it speaks to people. That people actually believed Jonah, <laughs> you know, like, like they actually believed him before. Right. So th they're going to act on it. I find that interesting. Are you excited for Frederick Foswell's return? I mean. Not, not terribly, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the, it's kind of a character that I haven't given much thought to in many years. I mean. You know, I, 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 
it makes sense. So I'll 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 be open minded to it. How's that sound? Yeah, fine. Like I haven't thought about Frederick Foswell since he died. <laughs> right, and that was and that was before our time on Earth, Dan. But you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a, when I wasn't even a twinkle in my father's eye. There you go. Because <laughs> I think he was like seven when that happened. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. If he does something interesting with it. Great, and and we could be wrong. It could be not Frederick Foswell. Right. But I mean, it's interesting because Frederick Foswell died. You know, he was, you know, trying to kill the kingpin for Jonah and Spider-Man stopped him. And then he got killed protecting Jonah from the enforcers, right? It's the enforcers that kill him. Yes. And so it's interesting that like those, all those players are back, right? Last issue, we got the enforcers, you know, the kingpin is involved here. It's all the same players. So, you know, bringing Foswell back kind of makes a certain amount of sense that Maybe, you know, he he's going to be put back in the position he was in before and will Spider-Man stop him or whatever. There's some certainly some room to play with that here. Let's go to go to grades. Give me your final thoughts, Mark, and give me a grade. <laughs> final thoughts. Um yeah, I mean like I'm gonna give this a C plus, which may not sound like a great grade, but I mean it's it to me it, it's like I said, they're 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 the elements are there. I, it's just same old, same old. Like I, I, I want to start seeing more come out of this than what we're getting. And and you know, like I, I need to knock off a little bit of the score for the fact that this is this is not a three part story. No matter how hard they're trying to make it, um, you know, let's let's try and be a little more efficient with our storytelling and and make you know keep, keep, limit limit our limit our comics so we're not trying to sell so many trade paperbacks okay so that's there you go that's so simple for me what about you dan i think it's really interesting that you say the trade paperbacks because how frustrating would it be reading a trade paperback to read these recap pages every issue oh my goodness you're like yeah i just read that right, you know right, like right. It, it doesn't make sense for either format because these books are coming out every week or every two weeks you don't really need a recap and in the trade, it would be frustrating. It's like nobody wins yeah, in yeah. that scenario. I, and I, I just – this is to Marvel in general. I think 21 pages is not enough for a comic. Yeah. You got to give me more than 21 pages or 23 pages. If they could get it back to 28, I feel like we would lose so many of these problems with these <laughs> stories. You know, like tw- you can do a lot in 28 pages. Go read a Ramita issue. It will take you a half hour. Right. You know, yeah. like it's a meaty thing. Yeah, definitely. I- I'm giving this one a B minus. I like the characters and I like the scenarios. It's a little slow, but, you know, I had a good time with it. I, I-, I just like checking in with these people. But it's not electrifying me. I want to give it another A. This yeah. writer can give us A's every week if he want, if he, you know, gets to the stories he wants to tell. And maybe these are the stories he wants to tell. But I'm I'm convinced he's got a whole like truck of A stories in his in his you know whatever parked in his lawn. I don't know what he's doing with the truck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so B minus for me. Uh, we're pretty much in the same ballpark here. Will things come together in this story's final chapter? Let's not wait any longer. It's our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 13. What's new?
today we're not talking about me being Spider-Man secretly. Instead, no, Dan, we're talking about uh, the latest issue of The Amazing Spider-Man, issue number 13, a.k.a. Legacy number 814. It's another special delivery from Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. This is the third part of this arc involving the This Is Your Life, J. Jonah Jameson, and uh, also resolves uh, the big fight with the appearance of the big, big man last time around. Dan, you know, there's there's definitely some really interesting, unique moments happening here. Some things maybe less so. Uh, Do you have any overall impressions that you want to kind of kick us off with? I mean, I think this issue is kind of, I think it's one of the stronger ones in the Nick Spencer run, but I think it also like kind of illustrates ongoing problems that we've had with this book. And I think, why don't we just get it out of the way to to recap our feelings about recaps? Yeah. This book indulges in, I think, the greatest sin uh, of, of this series. And I think it's less indulgent in this time around, but the the overabundance of recapping. We've got the recap page and then we've got all the follow-up two or three pages of recapping the previous issues in this story. And I continue to find this bothersome uh, in terms of like how much we're getting out of these books when so much of it is focused on telling us something we already know in a bi-weekly format. Uh, Mark, how are you feeling about it, I guess, in general and then this particular issue? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's getting to the point, Dan, where I am opening up an issue of Amazing Spider-Man and, and quite frankly, I am skimming the first few issues of it, which is like, you know, this is, to me, the first few issues of the, of the story is where you really need to bring somebody in with a hook right away. Like, you know, if there was some kind of huge cliffhanger to end the previous issue like this most recent issue uh you you want to kick off with like if not necessarily a resolution to whatever that cliffhanger is but like you want to be back there in that moment and we're not we're being taken to like some other myriad of moments essentially uh you know from the past couple of issues and it, it just completely truncates the, the flow of the story and we haven't even started it yet so i mean it, it to me it's increasingly frustrating um yeah i mean this one wasn't as pronounced of a recap but it was still a solid three pages of recap i mean in, in a 24 22 24 issue comic book i mean you, you, you're robbing me of almost of more than 10 percent of the comic now yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, this one, I felt like it, it managed to skirt by a little bit because, like you said, we're kind of – we're splitting our time. We're half in the flashbacks and half with Spider-Man getting beaten up by the big, big man, which is what I'm calling him now. He's right. the, the big squared man. I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> what the quali- qualification is there. Um, I like that at the very least we were in Spider-Man's headspace and kind of like a, a emotional mindset while he was going through this battle. And that's how we're handling the recap. But it, this still is kind of awkward. And I have some theories about it, like why it seems to be more pronounced in the Ryan Otley issues than the Humberto Ramos issues. And, and I suspect it's because... I don't know, anybody that read Invincible knows that Ryan Otley had trouble keeping that schedule a month-to-month book due to kind of like physical ailments. He he had some back problems, and he just kind of over the years got slower at doing the pages probably due to those physical ailments. And I, I wonder if there's a certain amount of Nick Spencer building these in to give Ryan Otley the time to produce these pages and, without stretching him too Far, I don't have any evidence behind that, but beyond like kind of personal experiences 
But it could very well be that Nick Spencer is trying to emulate Stan Lee because, I mean, how many times do we open a Stan Lee book and get like two pages of Spider-Man just swinging around town thinking through his problems? But even then it felt less recappy there than than it does here. Unless something – you're talking like Spectacular Spider-Man magazine number two where like half that issue is spent recapping the Goblin story. I I, I appreciate trying to evoke the great master Stan Lee, but I mean we are – in a different era of storytelling when it comes to comics. So I, 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 I would still kind of, if that is indeed what this is all about and it has nothing to do with Otley's um, speed or pacing, I mean, I would just say that, you know, like just to be, you have to be careful of it. I mean, like I, I you know, I, I feel like just as a whole in all comic books, this is not independent to Spider-Man. You're, you're kind of getting less bang for your buck with how comics are, are constructed just in terms of physical page count and the price of a comic. So, you know, if you're going to spend a disproportionate amount of, of the comic recapping what happened two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier, whatever the publishing schedule might be at that moment, it just it just feels like you're 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 robbing the reader of 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 their money in a, in a very indirect way. I mean, like. Like I said, I'm I'm skimming these pages. I, I I like I'm 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 focusing on panels that show something that I have not seen. So in this case, like these little exchanges between Spider-Man and the Big Big Man, but I'm not like giving them my full attention. I feel like they're not drawing me in the way, say, you know, even what you got in Dan Slott. I mean, you know, Dan Slott was never necessarily a, a, a you know gifted in terms of exposition and and or, or you know how to build it sometimes. But like I always felt like. Dan Slott knew how to bring you into a story right away, and it was just kind of the pages that followed <laughs> where it got sometimes a little tripped up. Yeah, and I, again, I, I can't imagine what reading this will be like in the trade. Like, I, I imagine it will be incredibly frustrating. And, I mean, the way that I really know that this is kind of like on the minds of other readers, it's like I log into the Slack, and the first thing that I read are like a dozen comments from our listeners saying like, What's up with the recap pages? You know, like it's on everyone's mind. And I I would almost just kind of, you know, prefer – I don't know if I want, you know, a secondary artist supporting Otley if that's the case. But maybe it's, a, a you know, a matter of like judiciously using your issues, you know. Like I, I get why we needed some of the stuff in here. But like uh, this could easily have been I think like a two-issue story um, you know, in these pages. So – I'm not I'm not bemoaning it entirely, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like there are things that could be excised. Like we never get a resolution to Arcade or the Enforcers in this issue, you know, so maybe you streamline some of that. And, you know, I don't think it would be missing all that much uh, really, really here. So um, recapping the recaps were done. Like we let's not echo the problems of this book and, and spend the time – rehashing our familiar opinions. Um, So let's get to the meat of this issue. It's like Spider-Man gets beaten up by the big, big man, which I thought was really kind of, when we did get it, was kind of splashy fun. Yep. You know, but we get the reveal of Frederick Foswell Jr. Mark, we didn't call this one necessarily. How did you feel about this reveal? Um, Just before we get to the reveal, I I do just want to say in terms of the fight and and how it was rendered um, by Otley, I mean, like, this is also, this was also one of those comics where I'm I, I'm really growing to love Ryan Otley's work on this book, and I mean it does make it kind of frustrating that he doesn't seem to be able to kind of do more than a couple of issues at a time. Like I saw, we got what Chris Bacalo coming on for the next issue, yeah, according to the preview. But yeah, I mean like he he 
you know, I, I will admit I was not that I was skeptical, but I, I, I'm not an invincible reader. So I didn't know what to expect going into this. But like um, and you had kind of given me a heads up like, you know, Otley is good at like monsters and gore and kind of like very out of the ordinary kind of visuals. And obviously a big, big man plays to his strengths. And I feel like Spencer really is playing to Otley's strengths in these stories in terms of you know, the characters he's giving him to, to play around with and, and Otley's delivering. And I'm really growing to adore Otley's work in the world of Spider-Man as a result. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Also, I thought this was a great cover. Really love the cover with the Scorpion and Spidey and Jonah. Uh, I thought this was one of the better covers we've had of the Otley era so far. Yeah, I, th- I think it's nice and busy and, and, and fun to look at. I, uh, I love the kind of very solid paneling from Otley throughout these issues. It, it's almost like too rigid in some ways, but like it really gets you back to more like classic stuff, like the, the Dicko and, and, and Ramita era. Like we're going to talk about it later, but like the defeat of the big man or the big, big man, like to me was like, wow, this is a really solid evocation of Ditko and how he used to use panels and varying sizes to convey things in, in the best of Ditko, like the final chapter, you know, uh, right. I think that's all great. And, but I also think he's able to handle the kind of like, you know, personal, uh, character moments really well, like the confrontation with Jonah in this issue. Like it's really firing on all, all cylinders. I don't think he's as like, say like nuanced to say like Stuart Eminen right. and, and his work, but like sometimes big old, bold, splashy, Fun is really solid, and I think Spencer's writing is perfectly matching that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now in terms of what you were just saying with uh, Frederick Foswell um, Jr., a.k.a. Freddy, uh, being kind of the reveal here, um, you know, again, we're going to have to just, like, kind of throw our hands up in terms of the clone conspiracy and who actually is around from that book. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, <laughs> it just seems to change by the day. Um, I mean, you know, I'll admit, I was initially, like, when I in the exact moment of getting that reveal, I was kind of like, eh, you know, because we all, we, you know, as the story alludes to, we had a story many years ago that had uh, Foswell's daughter as the big man. So, like, it kind of seemed like it was a little bit of a replay of an of a old um, reveal. But I really like, and, and this kind of applies to all of the villains that show up over the last three issues, just kind of how they play with, how it was essentially Jonah uh, and his original words about Spider-Man that that fueled the the hatred for these people, uh, and the fact that Jonah has flipped so out of the, out of nowhere to I'm sure their perspectives that have caused them to kind of escalate, you know, and and, and be here. I mean, it's just like, like so like in that regard, this was a very sensible reveal. Like it makes sense, and then when you have the confrontation between Jonah and Freddie, it really brings it home. And, and I think this ended up being what was best for the story. I totally agree with that. I do think that there maybe there was a character that would have made this more powerful because we would have had more time with that character. I can't necessarily think of any character we've really spent time on, maybe more than Frederick Foswell, that really. Uh, respected Jonah's work as much as as much as he did, or believed in Jonah that much. We don't really get to see a lot of the kind of like sycophantic adoration for Jonah's words, other than just kind of the base understanding that the populace populace of New York believes Jonah to some degree about Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you had to go with anybody, I think this is as good as anybody you could have chosen for this. I do have some kind of like. Uh, 
specific questions about this. Like we see in the flashbacks of like Foswell's death, this like young teenager who's right. mourning his father who looks younger than like say Peter was at that age, right? Like he looks like he's like 12 or 13, right? Mm-hmm. And like let's say Peter was 15 at the time. Either way, this character is younger than Peter. And now we've got this kind of like, you know, we've progressed however many years. But like this guy looks like he's at least 10 years older than Peter. Like he, <laughs> he looks like he's been like weathered by age. And maybe it's like rage and evil thoughts, you know, really wear a person out and make them look older than they are. But like ideally this should be like a like mid-20s kid that's just kind of like angry about his father. And uh, I just uh, – maybe it was just how it was rendered. He just looks older. But, like, I would think that there would be a part of the script that acknowledged, like, you're a young guy. Like, don't throw your life away like this. Yeah. I don't know. I think there was just an opportunity there that wasn't necessarily kind of played out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was – it's one of those things. It's like the execution is so good that, like, the reveal being lame, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm willing to go with this because there's something really cool coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there is there is some really potent emotional stuff here. I mean, like I I have found one of the biggest cons- one of the most consistent things of Spencer's run so far is like when he wants to have these really deep character moments, he he gets them. Like he knows how to like kind of twist twist the narrative and the flow of dialogue uh, and interactions between different characters, even like characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be having powerful interactions with each other like i think back to some of the um mj and and jarvis stuff during that that arc i mean we didn't love that story but like there were elements of you know mj you know with the support group that i thought were well done in terms of kind of revealing elements of the character and the same could be said here i mean like jonah is is really coming to terms with who he was and who he is now and how that could be affecting people in in a way that you know, in a way that we haven't seen Jonah kind of be introspective in a very long time. I, I I would say longer than the past ten years for certain, right? Well, I feel like the moment that he's confronted with in this situation, it's like a nice continuation of where we were in Amazing Spider-Man 800, which gets a nice callback here with um, you know Jonah pointing a gun at Spider-Man, right. um, you know. Uh, but uh, to to me, this is like the logical endpoint of where we've been heading for a very long time. And it's been frustrating to watch Jonah kind of come to this point and then have the writers be like, we can't really go there because it would fundamentally change the character. You know, like after the Marla death, I very much expected Jonah to turn a new leaf and realize that he was the, you know, uh, the basis for all of his own problems. But we didn't get there. Instead, he kind of moved on to the next big thing, which inevitably got us back to him hating on Spider-Man. And we did that same dance over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's like him killing um, the Spider-Slayer or his family being targeted by Scorpion and the Spider-Slayer or any of the number of situations we've gotten with Jonah in the past few stories, like, I don't think it was handled particularly well this turn, especially burying it in a B-title um, with very little fanfare about it, but like I'm glad we finally got here. I have no idea where it's going um, or what you do with this character to make him equally relevant to the world of Spider-Man. And, and you know, it's hard to be more, re- more relevant than a, than an adversary, you know, because inherently conflict comes out of that. Like to me, it's like okay, good. We finally 
allowed all these stories to build up enough that Jonah can reflect on them and realize that he is the his own worst enemy in some ways. Right. I, I mean, and we're clearly going to get a continuation of the Jonah story at some point, not just because he's J. Jonah Jameson, and of course we're going to get him, but like, I mean, we get a tease in this issue about, you know, the the ghost of Christmas future being Nora Winters showing up here. So like, we know there's more to the story here. Uh, we don't know what it's going to be, but um, clearly Jonah is going to be going in a new direction soon, it looks like. I mean, his, his morning talk show has now been pushed to a 10 a.m. start. I mean, oh, the horror. <laughs> <laughs> I love the kind of David Cross call out here. Do you know, like, there's this great David Cross kind of um, stand up bit where he makes fun of morning talk show hosts. And I think they, like, Nick Spencer literally pulled all of the jokes he makes there about how terrible morning talk show people are on the radio here like there's like the fart song or whatever right, it is yeah yeah <laughs> i mean what what would what would you suspect is the future for jonah i mean is he and are he and nora gonna reinvent journalism and help save the daily bugle is that like what what's coming down the pike because they already set up that robbie is like the daily bugle is not doing well Right. You, you know what I mean? What are your suspicions? I mean, do you, if you had to guess, what would you say? I mean, that seems to be the most sensible one. But then, then what's going to be Jonah's role in this if he's not going to be, you know, Spider-Man, Menacer, you know, Menace Freak and all that? I mean, so I, 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 just, I just don't know. But I, you know, the thing is, I like these characters. I like where they're coming from right now. I like where, how they're evolving. So if we're going to put... Jonah and Robbie and Nora together and 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 do a subplot with it. I'm 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 game. So like, let's see what they can do. But yeah, I mean, it, that seems to be the direction it's headed. Something with the bugle or or something with journalism. But you know, I I I'd be remiss in guessing what what kind of gimmick it's going to be. You know, um, I'm curious because like every new story we get, it seems to be healing relationships with Spider-Man. Whether it's like. Him and Boomerang, him and Mary Jane, him and Jameson, like all of these relationships are being healed and addressed, Felicia, in ways that like they haven't in years. And you like you can't inherently you can't create drama when everybody is just copacetic, right? Like they're like he's fixing all these things and and healing all these ways that make Spider-Man's world like feel happier in a way that's like oh Rami- like the Ramita you know, run kind of like healed everybody's relationships, but inherently it, it, it started a whole new thing by introducing the green goblin wrinkle where someone knew Spider-Man's identity. So like it healed all these relationships, but then introduced a new complication. And I feel like every time I read a book like this, where things are getting better for Spider-Man in some way and the characters are getting better, it's only like setting up this potential for a greater fall. Like I feel like there's a big ax to be swung somewhere out there and i'm really excited about it because it seems like he can't just spend his time on this book repairing things yeah the sword of damocles is still hanging somewhere yeah i do want to note um great little interaction when when spider-man is battling um well when jonah kind of turns on freddy and gets the spider slayer and kind of gets grazed by a bullet to, to to kind of take care of him spidey webs him up webs the wound up and and Jonah definitely falls into his old <laughs> habits there. Like, I mean, it's it's it's. I was just laughing because I'm like, well, that reads like Jonah from the Ramita and Dicko era. Like, you webbed freak and miscreant. And <laughs> yeah, it, it makes you think like that guy is still in there somewhere. 
It's like he just can't help himself, you know. <laughs> He's just ready to get angry again. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Do you want to say anything else about the the Freddy or Big Man, Big Big Man fight, or do you want to go on to the Kingpin stuff here? What's what's what, what's where are you at? Well, I mean, one last thing about the the Big Big Man fight. You know, there's I think it's a beautifully designed moment by Otley where you know Spider Man takes it back to the robot and destroys him. It's a very kind of like, can I just put all of my effort into just destroying this guy but it is another example of these books where like it's an insta kill moment for spider-man like i mean i'm thinking back to the tri-sentinels where it's just like he kind of i guess just got them all to blow up you know and here's a (laughs) here's a robot that just like flattened him and pinned him to the ground and now he's just like i gotta give it my all and uh, you know i i don't know that i was needed to see him like come up with some smart tactic for this but like it there's a lot of like insta kill things here that feel cheap um but i'm okay with it because the fighting that robot wasn't the central drama of this issue but i but i am hoping like again that like as much as i'm enjoying ryan otley drawing this stuff i wish the narrative backed up like a mono imano fight in a more interesting way like if they could combine the physicality with the emotions in in a more potent way yeah, I, I I I agree with that. I mean, it 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 does seem like a little too much of I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Up oh, now, I'm gonna gonna beat this guy with a punch, yeah, <laughs> or or web him into the atmosphere where you can blow up, you know. So <laughs> yeah, it's the Japanese Supida Man thing where it's like the do the sword kill that insta kills everybody, you yeah, know. Uh, yeah. You know, are the Power Rangers like, oh, we forgot about this button over here that allows us to (laughs) decimate Gordon or whatever. Or no, Gordon's the good guy. Uh, Goldar is the bad guy. All right. You are getting way ahead of me there. (laughs) Speaking of obscure villains, uh, we get an awesome return of some obscure ones here. We get this awesome scene with the Scorpion, like basically begging Arcade for money or whatever. And I got to say, I love Otley Scorpion. It's the first time since Dicko where I feel like he's got the face right. Yeah. I always love Dicko Scorpion because his face looked like really messed up under the yep. mask. Yep. Um, and this is true too. It's like, oh, there's so much coiled, tense anger in it. I, I, I loved it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Scorpion is, I mean, we very underutilized villain in terms of the physicality of it. Um I think just a lot of people just couldn't capture it the way Dicko could. And, and yeah, Otley is definitely pretty close. So the obscure villains I was talking about, the Scorpion, right? He gets caught up in this whole, like, Craven Hunt thing yeah. that is coming down the pipeline re- very shortly for us. And he gets locked in jail, right, with, like, the Vulture, who we'd already seen captured. But I was tickled pink to see Stegron, Tarantula, <laughs> and Cobra in that cell. Yeah, mother will be very upset to see Stegron there. I think. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, although Tarantula, I mean, who's Tarantula now? Do we even know? I, I'm like, I, I, I lose track of. It's the original Tarantula. He was brought back in the Clone Conspiracy. Okay, well, well, that's what you said about Foswell. <laughs> well, I know, I know. It, it, it seems to be. Our, I think a rereading of the Clone Conspiracy is in order for me. Like, I, I just. I I felt like I understood how the clone thing worked at the end of it, but like I don't know how the enforcers are back. I I missed something. Like right. I just need to revisit it, and that might be my maybe that's my homework for this week. Right. 
And then Cobra, I mean, like, have I seen, have we seen Cobra in an issue of Spider-Man since, like, that Roger Stern story? I mean... (laughs) I don't think so, but, like, hey, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. I mean, and these are all, like, you know, deadly... They're they're not just animals, but uh, they're all kind of deadly animals. Uh, I mean, not that... Spider-Man has any villains that are are benign animals, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's you know it is interesting that you have a you know a tarantula, a venomous snake, a venomous insect or arachnid, if you will, in terms of the scorpion, uh, and a and a dinosaur man. Uh, you don't remember <laughs> you don't remember the Spider-Man villain, the puppy. No, right. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> or the panda bear. Well, there's the kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, but kangaroos are scary. Have you ever seen like a buff kangaroo just like hanging around? They can be frightening. That's true. That's true. I was just trying I'm to not saying of- the kangaroo villain is actually frightening because right. he's quite lame. Or the gibbon. We don't, we're not having the gibbon here. So <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I, no. I, I'll leave that to Spencer to include the given at some point get martin blank back there you go there you go yeah no it's cool stuff i'm looking for i mean again and these characters are all rendered really cool i'm like i i hope when this story does eventually pay pay off we see otley get to draw it i think it's ramos who's doing it ah that's a shame but we got that cover of of craven sitting in that throne with everybody's head on the wall i mean i thought it looked really cool so yeah i mean i'm, I'm not that upset about it I know. I, I like Ramos a lot. I'm not trying to throw shade at Ramos. I just, I really, I, you know, I think seeing Otley do like Tarantula or Cobra would be pretty cool. But it's true. It's true. It's true. So, what do you think of this book? What do you, what rating do you want to give it? I, uh, you know what, I'm going to give it a B plus because I really did like the Jonah Freddy stuff, the Jonah Peter stuff, or Spider Man stuff. I mean, like we're getting really good, rich character moments. The art is fun. Uh, just, just. Lose the recaps, and I won't recap the recaps anymore. <laughs> How about yeah, you? Yeah, and I, I feel the, exactly the same way. I, one thing we didn't mention is the Kingpin stuff. That's still falling totally flat for me, um, especially jokey Kingpin. And that's like – if I had to choose a scene that didn't work, it's that one. This one's a, a solid B-plus for me, and, and, and I will be happy to read more books like this every two weeks. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that this marks the end of the Kingpin stuff, but who knows? We'll see. Thanks for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. We've got a ton of great content coming down the pike for you all. I'm working on an amazing interview to potentially drop into your feed in the coming weeks. And Mark will be moving very soon, meaning we can get to episode four of our season three content. But in the meantime, our Patreon subscribers should be sure to check out our Patreon page where your podcast feed this week, we've already got up special reviews of the entire Spencer run up through issue 17. Why wait to get caught up in a few months? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll gain access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Barry Kitson. And while you're at it, why not check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, our sister podcast that's covering all the hidden corners of Spider-Man's complicated web of stories. Plus, we've got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. Just check this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. I've seen a lot of new people on there this week, and I'm really excited to have them all. Why not join us? We're having a ton of fun. And if you want to have more conversations, why not join me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, where I'm talking Spider-Man all the live long day. And while you're there, why not tweet to 
at Chasing ASM blog and tell him how fast of a runner he is and how we've called him the Wizard with our hashtag the Wizard and let Mark know how much you're supporting him. And as we're always sure to remember on this show, Mark or no Mark, with great podcasts must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk.